This episode is brought to you by eToro, Australia's leading social investing platform with over 30 million users worldwide, allowing you to explore local and global markets, diversify your investments and copy popular investor strategies. You can now invest in ASX and US shares as well as ETFs with 0% commission. AFSL 491139, capital at risk, other fees apply. See PDS and TMD. Hey ladies, it's Molly here, founder of Ladies Finance Club, and I am so excited about our new season. At Ladies Finance Club, our mission is simple, to help make women rich. We believe if you have control over your money, then you have control over your life. Through our events, courses, workshops, and club, we bring you the best experts in Australia to guide you on your wealth-building journey. So come on, join us on the inside, become part of our thriving LFC community, where women are celebrating their money wins every single day, from paying off debt to buying investment properties. Head over to ladiesfinanceclub.com and join our wait list. If you love the podcast, please leave us a review or push that subscribe button. It would mean so much to us. This podcast is recorded on Gadigal land. Now, let's get into it. Joe Fidelio is a powerhouse in the property world. She was a buyer's agent before they even had the title buyer's agents, and she was doing it just for family and friends. But she's now a very well-respected voice in the property industry. She's an author, professional properties buyer's agent, and also runs Property Women, an education platform that supports and advocates for female investors. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation with Jo. Hi, Jo. Thank you so much for coming on the Ladies Finance Club podcast. We're so excited to have you on as a guest. I'm very, very happy to be here and I love the message that you provide for women. I just think it's so vital and it's absolutely my pleasure. Ah, so thank you, Joe. Um, so tell me about your early days. Like, yeah, what, what was Joe doing in the early days? Are we talking property-related early days or my magnificent birth and arrival in the world? How, where do you want me to start? <laughs> we're, we're talking like early days, like growing up, where did you grow up? And and then I'm keen to know as well, like, were you taught any money lessons growing up oh, by your parents? Oh my gosh, for sure, for sure. So I've had a very eclectic childhood. I grew up in Sydney and I was the result of a teenage romance. So I probably wasn't the most welcomed baby ever. Um, not so much by my parents, but I don't think they, their parents would have been that happy by my early arrival. So my parents were actually teenagers, they were 17 years old. And I spent the first 10 years of my life sharing a bunk bed with my mum in my grandmother's house. Yeah, and to back onto that, you talk about the money mindset that I, I grew up not having a lot. I didn't have that cliched childhood where I didn't have siblings until I was much older. And um, so I didn't have that sort of that share hustle kind of thing going on. But I was conscious of not having what other kids had, and that is their own home, their own room. Um, my mum had a very strong value attached to education. So she struggled very much to put me into a really good school because that was where she wanted to put her funds and um, that was really important to her. So I went to a very affluent high school, but I was definitely the poorest kid on the block. <laughs> you know, I, was, I used to hate Mufti days because I'd be, you know, last year's faded Kmart and everyone else was wearing the country road latest. And, you know, so that really for me set a standard of like, I want more than this. There's a lot that inspired me from a young age. And, you know, my influence from my mum, it's funny, I had, you know, my my grandfather and stepdad and my dad in my, my world, but 
my financial and my money mindset stuff, really my influences were the females in my world, my grandmother and my mum. Very much my grandmother's mindset was, you know, before you invest in property, make sure you pay off your own home first, which is because she grew up during the Great Depression. You know, so to have and own something outright to her was so vital. And my mum's one of those people that she she's very much, she's avoids debt like anything else in the world, like just hates the idea of having any debt. Whereas come to my generation and I'm far more open and probably a little bit more of a risk taker as a result of my, my time in the calendar and of the last century when I was born. <laughs> so so kind of fast forward, you're now a very successful property investor. So how did you first get started in property? I, oh, I don't even know what my come to Jesus moment was with property. I started watching, I did, I started watching these and I don't know whether, you know, someone might be listening and, and remember Sarah Beanie was in the UK and she was one of these people that would come into an investor's world and tell them what they should and shouldn't do in terms of renovating and selling for profit. And I'd watch those shows like I just couldn't get enough. Like I digested everything I could get my hands on. I went to multiple different events when it came to property. I loved being around women that were talking about property. Read every magazine in the olden days when you read magazines. You know, every book. So my appetite was there, but I was still working in a corporate gig. So when I started to get into property buying myself, and I actually did buy my first investment property, I was only on 45000 a year, and I would walk dogs to get extra money <laughs> to fund my mortgage and lifestyle. So, you know, that was... But I wanted, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to build a portfolio. Wow. And that's really interesting. Again, I'm seeing a pattern in these, the women I'm interviewing on this podcast. There's such a self-motivation, such a self-drive. Where do you think that drive came from? I do think it probably goes back to that childhood of me sitting there going, I'm the poor kid. You know, I'm the kid that doesn't go on holiday. I'm the kid that didn't go to the snow, you know, and that's just me, no, it's that keeping up with the Joneses, but I didn't see it as a negative. I saw, I saw it as aspirational. I think you can take yeah. what's around you and you can go, oh, it's all right for them. They're wealthy or their parents are wealthy. To me, it's like, I want this. And I want this as a mother as well. I want my children mm -hmm. to have opportunities to, to not feel inferior and, but not so much that they're so entitled that they don't have their own growth trajectory to climb and aspire to as well. It's a funny one as a as a parent trying to navigate that. But yeah, I really do think that was probably that hunger came from that early stage. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. That's fascinating. And so you deal a lot with property, women. What do you find holds people back or women back from kind of taking that first step into buying a property? Money mindset's huge, as you know, fear, fear and having the self-confidence. And, you know, a lot of that does come from time and experience, but we don't always have a lot of time. And there are also some things are just not interesting to us, you know, like perhaps looking at property, to me, property is just, I'm a junkie for it. Like <laughs> after work, I will sit on and look at realestate.com.au for fun. You know, this is what sort of level <laughs> of obsessed I am. It's like your version of scrolling Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. You know, I'll go away for a weekend and then I'll be looking up farms and acreage and things like that for the next three nights. But, you know, like I, I'm not an expert and nor do I aspire to be an expert in the share, share market, but I will pay someone to, out, I want to outsource that to someone else who that is their zone of genius. That is what they, they use, they do as their recreation fun and their business. You know, I, I will look to somebody who's got some successes and rungs on the ladder and I would pay them to, to do that for me. So I think, you know, people get held back by lack of confidence, but if you surround yourself with the right people, 
and the experts. And yes, yeah. you're willing to pay to outsource to the experts. You can get so much further, so much faster. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what you do as well. So people can pay you and you help find them a really good home or investment property. Yeah. Yeah. And we've slightly bespoke structure to our business where yes, absolutely. The fundamentals are, we'll do that entire process. But sometimes people just come to us and go, found it. I hate doing negotiations, hate talking about money. You know, I need to step away from this. I know what I want to spend at the auction. Can you go and bid for me? So sometimes it's a little bit of both or they'll say, I don't have the connections. Can you find off-market properties? And so we, we reformat our costings and our service. So like, here's a whole bunch of off-market properties. Now you go and do the inspections because ultimately a lot of owner-occupiers, they do want to walk in and set, have a sense and a feel of a property themselves. And the data said, I want to pay for my time to do that with them. So we, we mold that around with the needs of our clients. Love that. And so what do you look for in an investment property? Are you quite data-driven or, yeah, how do, you, how do you find investment properties? I am data-driven. I think you really need to be to a certain extent. But investment properties are low, mate. Well, it depends on the strategy, of course. So I very much work yeah. with my clients. You know, I want to know who they are. I want to understand their money mindset issues, what's holding them back, what will keep them up at night. Mm -hmm. You will put the fear of God in them. You know, someone sat in front of me and they're pregnant with twins and they said, oh, I just watched the block and I really want to do a big renovation project. I'm like, ah, really at this stage of life? <laughs> do you want to rethink your strategy? Yeah. I'm very honest. Yeah. So, and then and it happens like on the back of the, you know, TV shows where they make these like, you know, huge windfalls, but there's a lot of numbers that don't disclose. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that aren't, you know, aren't there. And there's also a lot of media hype that gives them prices that aren't realistic. So I do speak to clients and talk them back off the ledge as well. And other times they'll come to me and say, look, you know, so-and-so I work with did this five years ago. I want what he's got. But the reality is that five years has changed. We can't replicate those numbers. That strategy no longer works. That council says no to having granny flats, whatever that might be. So when I want to look for something for a client, for an investment property, it's got to be the right fit for them and their personality. I like to look for things that is going to give them really strong yields, that they're going to get tenants. Mm -hmm. It's going to be low maintenance because the last thing you want if you're based in Sydney, if you've invested in Brisbane, is to have, you know, everything falling apart. And, you know, it's just it just adds cost and stress to your life and I don't want that for my clients. Yeah, and I guess that leads to my next question. I guess what are the mistakes you see people make when, I guess, they don't use an expert or and, and it comes to buying investment properties? I see this all the time. So that would be... Just delaying getting get, delay them in getting to the market. Full stop. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. It's like if you saw a personal trainer, you're going to reach your health goals in twelve weeks far better than you would if you just did it yourself. Because I'm really going to squat as heavy. I know I, I talk myself out of things. It's like oh, I just don't feel like doing the London yeah. today. But if my PT is screaming at me, I will. So it's the same thing. I help, yeah. you know, I help people get to their goal. You know, I've had a client just recently. They were flabbergasted we got what they wanted in four weeks. Like they were just beyond happy. You like couldn't believe it. So yeah. some people are like, oh my gosh, that was so much quicker than I expected. But I won't I'll only work with somebody if they're realistic about their budget and what they're looking for. Yeah. And you've got to rely on the that expert. I know the people, I know the agents, I know the area, I know what sells, I know what rents. You're paying for me. You're paying for all those years of experience because I'm a hands-on yeah. investor. Well. So I think it's really important that yeah, I, Put your, if you put your money into, you know, somebody that's actually going to be helping you, you're going to get your goals much faster. And I think that's really important. 
When it comes to investing, have you ever thought, where do I even start? Or maybe, I wish I could just watch someone else do it and copy them. Great news, you actually can. With eToro, you can copy popular investors and follow their strategies in real time. Yes, learn from the best and grow your wealth. eToro has over 30 million investors worldwide, all of which trust eToro for their investment needs. You can now invest in the ASX and US shares as well as ETFs with 0% commission. AFSL 491139, capital at risk, other fees apply, CPDS and TMD. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I know this question is like, how long is a piece of string? But realistically, how much do you need to buy an investment property? And I know that depends on the area, but kind of like, if someone's listening to this and they're like, I don't even know if I'd be able to afford a property, investment property, is there, is there like a, a magic number? Yeah, look, it is one of those things. It depends where you are in Australia. It depends on the strategy. Obviously, apartments are an entry price point for a lot of people. Like it, that's where, I'm trying to think of a dollar amount. If I had a client come to me before $100,000, I'd be like, whoa, where? You know, that's that's tricky. That's a really low number. And remember, I'm based in Sydney. So obviously my conversation would be very different if someone was in Adelaide and having that conversation with me. But our business also works with a number of different buyers, agents across Australia. We do a lot of things in Brisbane. So I would sort of want to have a conversation around 500000 as my bare minimum because that can get you a house, okay. you know, it's commutable distance to Brisbane City. We can get you a property. I don't know what townhouse probably, but, you know, but you want to make sure you're investing in an area that's going to give you growth as well just because you just don't want to chuck money because, you know, you see some of these regional towns where they get really strong percentage of yield on rent. It's really good numbers. But you might find in 10 years it's only gone up in value $40,000 where if you invested somewhere else you might have doubled your money. So oh, yeah. that's why it's really, really important to understand the market. You're always, almost better off buying a small, modest unit in Newcastle as you would if you went and bought a freestanding house somewhere, you know, six six hours drive to the coast, <laughs> you know, so, it, yeah. yeah. So I guess the, the answer to that question, obviously it is a little bit of a moving target, but um, you want to be starting with at least half a million would be my answer. Nice. And do you ever look for ways that you can add value to investment properties? Like you mentioned before, like a granny flat, giving a bit of a cosmetic makeover, or are you more in like their kind of area of no, we're finding things which are already looking pretty good and we can just rent them out straight away. I am a big fan of the value add. So it may not be, <laughs> I love it, I love it. I'm, this is where my nerd, you know, looking at the data you asked about that, like so looking at the numbers and I, there's something a little bit dull with just a set and forget property. I mean, it suits some people because it's low risk and it's easy, but I'll look at today's today's property, what, is, what, can, what can it provide for you? And then in five years, you might want to redo the kitchen and redo the bathroom and things like that. So you can add value, obviously, through renovations. What I love looking for is can I, can I within the existing floor plan, add, a, add an additional bedroom? You know, could you put up a stud wall? And they're not that expensive, but it's, just say it's got a massive rumpus. Could we siphon off, you know, 12 square metres and call it a home office? You know, is there, so there's different ways that you can actually add value to that property, very, very low key, very low entry. I like houses that have got the capacity to put a granny flat in at the back. And the other thing I really like looking yeah. for is dual income property. So I'm building one myself at the moment. 
So you've got two incomes under one roof line, you know, duplexes, dual keys. They're very good for investors for long-term holding reasons. Granny flats are fantastic. And even as I say to my client, even if that's not your interest, when you go to sell it, you'll be selling it as a, you know, potential for somebody else to grab it and and then they reap those rewards. But it will also help that'll be a, a selling point for you when you exit the property as well. So when it comes to finding an investment property, if I'm finding, if I've used your services and you show me some investment properties and I'm like, oh, I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to live there, but you know, it's other people would, how much does your personal opinion matter in it? <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make, <laughs> I'm just going to unravel it. Let's just say, okay. So you, this happens, right? So clients will invest in an area that they probably wouldn't choose necessarily to live in themselves, right? I think you've got to remember this is a business. Buying and investing property is a, it's it's just side hustle, you know, to have like seven income streams and call you, you know, and that's how you're going to climb that trajectory to wealth. So having a portfolio, that is that is another income stream. It's a business. So if your property managers rubbish, fire them and move along. If you're investing in a property, you really don't need to care about whether or not you'd send your kids to the local school there. You know, it's, but you want to make sure it's in an area that has got, and this is where those research tools come into play as well. So if you're renovating in a lower socioeconomic area, you don't need to do the Taj Mahal of all kitchens, you know? So you think about things like that. Some people live, live in those locations because that's obviously where it's an affordability thing. But I like to look at areas that have got a healthy balance of renters as well as owner occupiers. It's really important because the areas are slightly more cared for when you see that there's a few owner occupiers as well. And you need to walk in there and think, you know, is what can I do to add value? Is this, you know, who is my tenant going to be? Is it going to be a young family? Is it a double income, no kids? You know, what is it? Who is, who am I renovating for? You don't need to necessarily think of yourself as living there. I think that would probably limit your potential. But, yeah. there, you know, there's a lot of areas that, you know, you might see it as being a little bit of a modest stepping stone. But they're good areas. They're good areas, you know, with a you know working class kind of, you know, good people that have just got you know young families. And this is where I look at demographics. I like to look and invest in areas where it is a bit of a younger skew because you don't. I don't like investing necessarily in areas where the average age is sixty five because that's a little bit of a sleepy hollow and it doesn't tend to be robust with growth. I like looking at areas where the average age is thirty and a lot of people have got two kids under five. My tenants are going to live there for a long time. When they go to the local school around the corner and they've got a pet dog, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be, they're going to claim that as their home. They're not going to be transient. Your property manager will also interview tenants for you and you get to veto like, you know, I don't really want that tenant. I like this tenant. They've got a great secure job, you know, so you get that ability to pick and choose. So I think it's always about wearing your business hat when you're making those decisions as well. And perhaps not letting your, I don't know, your inner bougie self make the decision sometimes as well. The numbers have got to make sense. <laughs> Yeah. And so how many properties have you bought on behalf of clients? Like an estimate or, or around like a roundabout? Hundreds. I really don't know the answer. Every now and then hundreds. I think about like hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Hundreds. Wow. Yeah. I I wish, you know, because I've been doing this for 12 years and yeah. even before I left my corporate role, I started to help friends and family in a pro bono way before the word buyer's agent was even in our, you know, vocabulary. I would start to help yeah. people and I then retrained and became a buyer's agent. But I spent the first few years of my business telling people what to buy. Why would I use, why would I use somebody to help me buy a house? 
you know, but it's like, well, why would you use an expert to help you sell it? Whereas people buy blindly and buy poorly because they haven't made a good decision. They bought a house that look great on realestate.com.au. Unbeknownst to them, there's an approval for a boarding house to go up across the road. You know, things like that. People don't know how to do the research. They don't know what they're doing. And that's and now, obviously, it's, it's becoming far more commonplace. A lot of people think a buyer's agent is, is for the wealthy or really high-end clients. Most of my clients, and these are the ones I love working with, I love working with first-time investors, somebody who potentially hasn't bought a house for 20 years and they've come out of a marriage and they need to get back into the, you know, into investing, but the world's changed in 20 years, you know, so they need our support. Yeah. So a lot of people I work with, they're not, they're not the people who've got $12 million, you know, that's not, that's not the budget. Yeah. I, I really love investors. I love working with investors. I love the number crunching and, mm-hmm. and that tends to be the lion's share of, you know, what I do and how I help people. Love that. And with like all your experience and all that you've done, what do you wish you knew back then that you do know now? When it comes to property, I wish I was probably more aggressive when I was younger. But you know, it comes down to confidence, you know, and that's something that, and a buyer's agent didn't exist when I started. Or they probably (laughs) that the evolution of the industry wasn't there for me. And the reality is, this is why I've reformatted my business a little bit because first-time buyers don't necessarily have a buyer's agent budget, which is why I've got varying service levels where they could just drop in and use me as a coach for a couple of sessions. Yeah. So it's super affordable. Yeah. They get that support, but they go out and do the work themselves. So that did, that wasn't there for me. So I, I missed out on having that confidence of working with somebody at the time. Mm. So I would have liked to be more aggressive, I think. I, st- I still think I did okay, but... Yeah, it's just one of those things. I think I was just, yeah, fear. You know, one of my worst ever personal, people was, this is a question I get asked a lot, like what's what's your worst decision? It was the property I didn't buy in Surrey Hills, which will keep me up at night just talking about it. That's, I just know how much money I would have made and I knew it had some damp issues and I made an offer and the agent said, I'm 5000 above the next person, but the first one to come in and sign the contract, it's theirs. And I just wanted to get a person building report. You know, I think that was like, to me at the time, that was really, really important. It is important to do these things. But I knew there were some damn issues, but now the cost of fixing whatever would have been the problem, I would have been seven figures better off today had I bought that property than just sleeping at night. And this is where I I just did not have that inner knowledge, know-how, confidence at the time to do that. So I think that's what I would really change, you know, and in talking about, you know, influences of those around you, my grandmother used to always say, you can't put an old head on young shoulders. (laughs) So I would like to take this old head and put it back onto my 28 year old shoulders and go, you know, know, you've got things. (laughs) But unfortunately, that one, I just never wanted to sell school. (laughs) This has been so interesting and so great to hear. So I guess... My final question, Joe, is how has property changed your life? And yeah, I guess again, what kind of like, what advice would you have for people who are women who are just still holding back, holding back, especially some of the ones in LFC who have been talking about buying property for many, many, like quite a few years now, but they still haven't taken action. What would I, yeah, I guess your, your words of wisdom be? Well, look, you know, it's, to take to take action it's baby steps molly like it's just get your taxes up to date pay off any crappy credit card you might have tidy up tidy up your admin you know if you get up to date with your taxes 
Go to a broker. Make that initial contact with somebody because a broker can go, wow, based on this and today, you're only here. But if you did that and got rid of this and then sold, you know, you know, cleaned up your car loan, we can get you this much money. It's just taking those incremental steps forward because I think people make the mistake of over-analysis and then there's, they do nothing. It's just atrophy. Yeah. So take the baby steps today. And if that means booking now with your accountant in three weeks to get your taxes up to date, that's that's a step forward. It's a step forward. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Baby steps. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Joe. And Joe, if people are listening to this and they're like, love the sound of Joe, would love to use her services, where can they find more information about you? For sure. So I've got advocateservices.com.au is our buyer's agent arm of our business. And the coaching and other property side is Property Women. This is where I've actually got our side of our business, that propertywomen.com.au where, you know, we absolutely love helping women get onto their property, you know, build their property portfolio, but hold their hands throughout the course of doing so and give them the confidence to, to jump in. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining Ladies Finance Club podcast. Thank you. I'm not a financial guru, so please don't mistake my hilarious bants for expert financial advice. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal or financial situation. You should consider whether the information is appropriate to your needs and where appropriate. Seek financial advice from a financial advisor. In fact, we encourage it.